Hi everyone, welcome back to another edition of the Parkrun Adventurers Podcast. I'm here again, probably to the disappointment of some, but Mel is with me. Hi Mel. To the disappointment of everybody else who's not disappointed about Scotty. It's episode 53, Scotty. Yes, we've long talked about episode 53. We have, but we've changed the theme for our pictures, so now we can't use what we've long talked about. What about we make one final exception? I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Hopefully you've already seen it and you know what we're talking about. The news is absolutely chockers this week. Let's go straight to it. Thirty-three thousand five hundred and twenty brand newbies turned up for parkrun last weekend. Add eighteen to that number, and you have the total PBs obtained across one thousand and twenty-four events. Unconfirmed reports have been flooding in about a unicorn sighting at an Australian parkrun on Parkrun Day. For the protection of the magical beast, we will not be disclosing the location of the sighting at this time. That wasn't as chockers as I thought it was going to be, Mel. It's quality, not quantity, Scotty. I mean, how many other places in the world have had unicorn sightings? Seriously. I couldn't tell you. couldn't tell you. But I use the um, news when you're reading the news as an opportunity to, to eat. Oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, didn't get through much tonight. So, so it was a short-lived snack, was it? Yeah. What, were you, what were you eating? Oh, it's funny you should ask. Because once again, the H2 cocoa coconut water people didn't come at me. So this week, I'm going back to an old favourite of yours, Cadbury's pineapple flavoured chocolate. Ooh, tropical pineapple. Tropical pineapple. I found it in the supermarket again. So I thought four blocks is probably enough. To last this week. I'm going to stretch that out because I'm not sure. It's a bit like the unicorn whether I will ever see it again. It is. I, I highly recommend people just scour the shelves for it every time you go to the grocery store because if you do spot it, chances are it'll be once in a blue moon. Yeah. Do, you, do you ever have chocolate for breakfast? We've got a famous chef coming up later in the podcast. I'm sure he's going to give us lots of food tips. But how do you I go? May, how do you go? I may with- have had chocolate for breakfast. I regularly do. What about for parkrun? Do you eat before you go to parkrun? No. I can't eat before I go to – well, actually, no, that's a lie. I can eat before I volunteer, but I can't eat before I run at parkrun because it's still the middle of the night for me. So my belly doesn't know about food until about kilometre two, and then it's like, oh, why didn't I eat beforehand? But if I did eat beforehand, then – I would do that vomiting thing that you say you always push yourself towards. So, mm. <laughs> And I'm not one of those runners. <laughs> so, no, I don't eat beforehand. Do you? No, never. Never. I couldn't think of Is anything Is that just because you're running late? No, I just, I'm not hungry before a run. Never have been, never will be. It's even before marathons. I won't even have a banana or a bit of toast. What if you're running in the evenings or the afternoon? Like how, what kind of time frame do you need to wait? Even worse. So I do a lot of my running at night at the moment. And the problem that that raises is that you can't have dinner beforehand because then you're running around with a big belly full of food and that feels terrible. (laughs) So then you end up having dinner 
after you run, and that's like at 9, 9.30 at night. And that's not great. That's actually pretty standard for me anyway. Is it? 9.30 at night. Yeah, without the running beforehand. <laughs> so it's probably less good for my digestion. Again. Yeah, see, I don't like it. I've never got nutrition right. I When I did a marathon a couple of years ago, I had this great idea that I thought I'd juice a few days out. You'd like a juice cleanse or you'd only drink juice? I would only drink juice because I've always had a bit of a problem with my tummy during long runs and stuff like that. And you didn't try this a couple of days out from training. You tried this a couple of days out from your actual marathon. Yeah, I thought I'd, I'd go in light. And, cause in I that do- don't try anything new period of time, <laughs> you, you decided to trial juicing. In my head okay, at the time, and- it made perfect sense. <laughs> You know, my body would be cleansed. I would be wouldn't be carrying any extra weight. The problem was, I was really dehydrated. So if you're going to juice, you've just got to drink a lot. I think so I was really dehydrated going in, which then resulted in cramping, and it was, you know, one of my worst marathons ever. In fact, it, I think it was my last marathon I ever did. So, well, you can't say ever did because you're going to do more in the future. Yes, maybe. Maybe not. Okay. Hopefully. Yet to be determined. Yeah. Matt will sort us out later in the program. Keep listening. I'm sure he's got some hot tips. Hurry. Quite often on the podcast, you'll hear Mel and I talk about, we're going to add this park run to our list that list being the events that we want to visit. Number one on my list is the Beaches Park Run. So we thought our ED this week, who's just had a big week, welcome to the podcast, Michael Sharp from the Beaches Park Run. Hi, Scott, and hi, Mel. Thanks for joining us, Michael. You've had a big Saturday. Tell us all about it. It was our 100th event on Saturday. Uh, we're trying to get 100 people. We've only had over 100 people four times before, and our record was on our launch, which was 144 people, and we ended up with 160, so we'll, we'll, we'll stoke about all that. Fantastic. It's always exciting, breaking your record. But it's fair to say you probably haven't got close to your record since you've been going. No. No, not at all. So our second highest was 117 and our third highest was 102 so to get to get over 100 is a big big deal for us and why and why is that um why is it that people run on sand and they don't usually like to come back and run on the sand so uh the running we got we're spoilt for choice in newcastle the region of runners we have 12 different park runs and and uh, yeah, so usually people come to us uh, as they're doing their region air status or they're doing some tourism. Uh, we're probably we're a very unique park run. We're the only park run that I know of in the world that runs the whole five kilometres on sand. Now, do you think um, so? You you'd have a high incidence of people that run there only once and then don't come back. Do do your numbers fluctuate based on the tidal weeks? So do you find you have because you forecast the tides, don't you? And you let people know what they are ahead of time. 
Yeah, yeah, we definitely do that. It's it's so much easier to run on a low tide compared to a high tide. Uh, so we do pin a post on our Facebook page, um, letting people know the tides and how difficult the run is likely to be. It's also up on to, up on the day if it's a big swell and windy that can affect it as well. But a low tide, I'm about five minutes difference between a low tide and a high tide with the same amount of effort that I put into my run. <laughs> Do you ever mess with the runners and just like tell them it's going to be a low tide but it's actually high tide? Uh, no, I never, never, we never do that. Not yet. You, you do know that April 1st is on a Saturday this year though, right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure all the beaches park runners don't listen to the podcast. So, you know, we can just keep this between us. <laughs> Mind you, if it is actually low tide, then, you know, you can't fool anybody, can you? But it, if you want to run the beaches on a tr- – if you want a true beaches experience – if you're running it on a high tide when it's tough, it's it's we have lower numbers, but it, it's it's a lot. It's it's a true beaches experience. All soil carbs, slow times. It's nice and tough. Okay, so just explain it to me, Michael, because I'm from the bush. So the high tide does that mean you push further up the beach so the sand is softer? So you're in the so you're in the soft sand. Okay. So the the lower the tide, the firmer firm the sand. I, I often run uh, in the water because it's harder sand and you, you can run faster, basically. So if a big wave does come in and you're in the water, that also slows you down. You have to keep an eye on the waves at all times. Do the majority of your runners run barefoot? I mean, you run in the water, so obviously that's just going to slow you down if you have shoes on as well. Yeah, the majority of our runners run barefoot. About 90% of our runners would. On a high tide, it's definitely more difficult to run with shoes on compared to a low tide because it's nice and firm and compact on the low tide. I have seen people, we're, at, we're out and back, out and back, two, two laps. So we have seen people plenty of times run out with shoes on and they carrying their shoes on the way back. And on the other side of the thing, the scale as well i've also seen people run barefoot and turn up the next week with shoes on and they've run with shoes all the time wow and so do you know off top of your head what is the slowest first finisher time you've ever had at an event i think it's around 32 minutes and something seconds oh that's still faster than my pb <laughs> Yeah, I was hoping I'd be in for a chance there. That's all right. And the female, 48 minutes and something. I think we only had seven finishes on that day and and there was only one female and she finished in 48 minutes. So that's that might have been a walk or a walk run. So I need to show up on a poor weather week is what you're saying. In the, in the middle of winter. In the winter with uh, high tide. Yep, gotcha. A bit of, a bit of rain. <laughs> I will try to aim for that. And you discovered Park Run via the beaches, but you've since done a few of the other Park Runs in the region of runners. So we've got 12, 12 Park Runs in our region of Newcastle, and I've done 10 of those 12. 
we're, we're spoiled for choice. We've got great friendly atmosphere where we go. You've got different running clubs at all the different park runs all the time. And, yeah, I've never been to a park run where it hasn't been amazing. So how close are you in terms of you're, – you're classified as a region of runners event at the beaches. So how close is your closest event? Oh, we've got we've got three events within three kilometres of each other, but one might be on one's on the other side of of Newcastle Harbour, which is Stockton Park Run, and we've got Newey Park Run, which would be in between us and Stockton Park Run. So we have two right on their doorstep. So you have quite a small event. How do you get on with having volunteers every week? Um, so we have we have a good team behind us. We have several different running clubs in the in the region, and whenever we're short, we we just put out calls, and uh, we seem to always make the numbers. Excellent. It's good to hear you're well supported by your community. I have a question. We've got. Um, a bit of a holiday course at Kiwana to deal with congestion issues that we have over the school holiday summer period. And the first kilometre of our course is currently on the beach. We have been posting every week that, you know, it could be quite challenging to people with normal prams. Um, However, for the last three weeks, we've had a gentleman with a pram still do the course and he, he runs it on the beach and he has this little method of getting off the beach um, back onto the normal path by going backwards and pulling the pram up behind him. Um, have you ever had somebody complete your course with a pram? We haven't had one completed with a pram, but we have had our, our other ED, Emily, she, she did it in a wheelchair. She was pushed in a wheelchair. That's brilliant. Yeah, this was before I'd found Parkrun, but I've seen the pics. And uh, I think it was a high tide, which made it even tougher. Yeah, that was that that was that's amazing to to see those photos and hear, hear the story. Michael, have you ever had anybody rock up who's liked the idea of running on the beach? Maybe they were from England, for example, and they've got there, and it's not as idyllic and serene as they perhaps thought it would be, and have struggled and have maybe fallen over. I I don't know. If- anyone that's fallen over but I've definitely a lot of people on a high tide have gone out too too hard in their run thinking that it would be easier and they've come home uh, really really slow and really struggling there's been people that have turned up and only done one lap out and back once instead of two but that's still better than all those that stayed home in bed so is it a lap course Yep, it's two laps, out and back, and out and back twice. So it's four 1.25k kilometre legs. Oh, that's awesome. That must be really social then as well. Yeah, so you get plenty of high fives along the way. And you, you've you mentioned earlier that you run in the water. Have you ever seen anyone absolutely taken out by a wave that they weren't expecting? Um, I haven't seen it personally, but I've seen photos of people in waist-deep water uh, we did have one incident that we logged where one lady did get pushed over by the wave and one of our other park runners who's on the event team 
um, come to aid and 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 walked it back to the start finish line on on the first lap. But yeah, but it's it's pretty rare. Yeah, it has to be it has to be big swell and has to be bad conditions. Alrighty, Michael, we're at the pointy end of the interview, and we need to know of the events that you've adventured to. What are your top three? Not including the beaches. Not including the beaches. So I'm in. I'm going to have to put my hand up and say Lakeview Park Run. Um, they helped train me up to become run director at the beginning. So I've got a real soft spot for Lakeview Park Run and the Entrance Park Run because that's where I got my overall park run best. So it's nice and flat and fast. And my third one is the furthest adventuring I've done. It would be Port Mac Park Run, park run Port Macquarie. We're planning to go away this weekend. And I was serious. Well, I was. I looked up flights to Newcastle. And the only reason I've got to come to Newcastle is to run the Beaches Park Run. Didn't get over the line this time, but I guarantee I'm going to get to Newcastle this year. So I expect to uh, have a run with you in person. Yep. Yeah, that, that would be great. Make sure you let us know and it'll be good. Will do. I've listening to the podcast. I've started listening and from about 15 and I did hear you say that the beaches was the one that you most wanted to do. So. Well, thanks for sticking with us all this time. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've still got a couple on behind on, maybe three, three or four, but I'll catch up. Thanks for telling us all about the beaches park run and congratulations on your new attendance record. Thanks, thanks for having me, Scott and Mel. Many park runners would openly admit their primary motivation for running is to eat. Let's face it, if we all ate every delicious thing out there that we wanted to and never moved, we'd need forklifts for personal transportation. If you love your food and you love to run, we're going to you're going to love our next guest. He's a Southeast Queensland son, a runner, and a chef. Welcome to the Park Run Adventurers, Matt Galinsky. Hey, how you doing? Really well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for coming on the show. Now, my first question is a very important one. Do you run to eat? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, it, for me, it keeps the weight off. Um, I've, uh, I've, I'm just, I'm just getting back stuck into it again. Um, you know, from oh, a couple of weeks ago, been running again just to get all that Christmas weight off, um, and mostly alcohol. I, I run so I can drink. I reckon more than eat. <laughs> That's also a legitimate reason. Yeah. Well, tell us about your running story, Matt. How did you get into running? Uh, look, I think, well, I was working as a chef in a restaurant down in Noosa and I was doing split shifts every day. And um, I it was too far to go home in my split shift. I'd usually only have a couple of hours off, so I needed something to do other than go to the pub. So I'd um, I'd just throw the runners on and go for a run, and so sort of just started doing that, and and I, I had it got in my head that I wanted to do a half marathon, so I um, I just started in my breaks, you know, building up from a few kilometres to you know adding a kilometre each week, and then end up doing the Noosa half marathon about six months later. So by then I was hooked. Noosa half marathon. That's that's. Was that a flat run? Yeah, it's a really flat run, actually. It's two laps 
of the Noosa River. So it's actually a beautiful run. Um, I've done it a few times since, um, but it's one of my very favourites because it's because um, I, I I'm not a big fan of hills. <laughs> Speaking of not being a big fan of hills, you have run Pomona King of the Mountain, which has got a fairly substantial little mountain in that. Do you want to tell us a bit about that experience? Yeah, well, I don't mind that hill. I actually I actually live right next to the mountain, so I've kind of I get out out there and look at it each day and go, oh, I've got to get up there. So I do that probably. I try to do that two or three times a week, and that's um, I mean. You've done it yourself, and you know that it's very hard to actually run up the thing. You can run to the base of it, and then it's really just a scramble up, and and then a you throw yourself back down. But it's um, you know, it's kind of a most of the locals, a lot of the locals that live around here, um, you see them all up there all the time. We're we're all sort of addicted to doing it because it's um, as as hard as it is as a as a physical um thing. When you get up to the top, it's just amazing, and you get these beautiful breezes coming across, and and the view's amazing. So, um, it's one of those things. And and I mean, the King of the Mountain race is just a fantastic little community thing to be involved in, and and actually achieve. Um, a hundred pe only a hundred people allowed in it, um, each year, and you have to get in real fast to get your um to get your entry to get your ticket. Um, but it's uh, it's great when you're running up and down, running running up the street, and getting introduced to a little crowd, and uh. It's very fun, you know. You know what it's like. It was it was good value. It's actually my top event of all time ever so far. <laughs> Is that right? That's good. Yeah. No, I think it's pretty pretty cool. I'm, I think I'm going to be doing it again this year. Are you going to have time to train for it, Matt? Because every chef I know works ridiculous hours. How do you how do you find time yeah. to fit the running in as well? Look, look I'm busy and I, and I do I, I do a lot of travelling. I mean, I'm not in a restaurant as such where I'm stuck in, you know, working on the stoves every day. I, my job involves doing a lot of travelling around and consulting and writing and all sorts of things. So I pretty much, wherever I go, I take my runners um, and I love doing, I love, you know, having a chance to actually explore different towns when I'm in them. I, I'll wake up early and, you know, before I'm, I'm expected to do stuff and go for a run just to, to get a feel for a town. Um, and that's you know that's probably one of my things. I, I kind of consider it that I'm collecting towns um, when I get around the countryside, and and it's a great way to get a feel for what the plants are like, the trees, the people, the it just they have the whole vibe of the place. So for me, that's one you know one big thing. I always travel with my shoes, um, and uh, but you know when I'm at home, I um I just make time. I just you know it, it, it's my you know, I, I kind of, I guess, I, I do it more for the escape, um, and I guess most runners would understand that. It's kind of that solitude of just throwing the, the shoes on and, and getting out there running and having some time in your own brain. You've adventured to a few different park runs around the country as well. I have. So do you take your shoes yeah, and your I've barcode with you whenever you travel? I do. I've got it stuffed in, I've got it, I've got it stuffed in my, um, my barcode, stuffed in the back of my diary. Uh, and it comes with me everywhere I go, so I've always got that, and uh, and always take shoes. But I'll I'll research, especially if I'm going to be there on a Saturday morning, and and I know that I'm not, you know, if I'm if I'm cooking for a breakfast or something, then I miss out. But if I've got something on at lunchtime, then I'll get up early. And that's the beauty, I think, of park run is you know it's at seven o'clock, and you, and it's over in half an hour, and go home, and you know you can get on with the day. Um, but I've yeah, I've actually was introduced to it by a, a mad run a friend of mine who does ultras and, and everything and he lived in Gladstone 
and I happened to be there doing a um, a work thing, and he said, "I'll oh, come and do this park run thing with me." And um, and I was, you know, I was addicted after that. I did Gladstone, and then I think a few weeks later I was in Townsville. I did it there. I've done one in Darwin. Um, there's there's the Noosa one, of course, which I've done a few times, and I've done Nambour a few times as well. And if you don't like hills, that um, that's one's best avoided. That's probably the toughest one that I've done. That's very hilly. Nambour is actually uh, widely regarded as, uh, guarded as the most difficult park run in Australia out of the 200-plus events that we had. Yes. Is that right? Really? Yeah, no. I, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. It actually really beat me the first time. Um, I, did, I think I went to the, first, the very first day they had it and there was hundreds of people there. It was really, really cool. But, it, um, you know, I... I did it, and I think I, I think it took me 32 minutes or something like that. And I and I was really annoyed, and I went, "Oh, I'm not going to let this beat me." And I went back the next week and did it in 28 or something. But it was, it is, it's um, it's lots of up and down hills, and it and it's they're big hills. You sort of look at them and go, "Oh, no, I've got to run up that." And it's um, and it's kind of loose as well, so you've got to be, you've got to be alert the whole time. So, but it, it's it's a really good one. It's a um, a good challenge. So you're obviously not afraid of the trails. Have you done many longer distance trail events before? Not really. It's something that I'd really like to get into. I mean, I'm, this weekend I'm doing the, there's the first of the, the Sunshine Coast Run Series, um, which is in the first one's in Noosa. So I've, I've paid my I paid my fees a couple of weeks ago to lock myself in. So I've had, I've got to do it now. Otherwise, I'm I'm wasting my forty bucks. Um, but I've I've I hooked myself up to do the 10k on Sunday, and I think that's a little bit of a trail run, but it's not exactly bush running. But I, my actual favourite run in the whole world, anywhere I've been, is actually the Noosa National Park, the um, the Tanglewood Track, which is about 7k, and it's just if ever I'm feeling unhappy, um, that's my guaranteed way of making myself happy again. Uh, I just get go get in the car and drive down there and do that one, and I, by the time you finish it, if you're not happy, you're crazy. <laughs> Speaking of getting happy running, a lot of people get happy eating, and you you've done some long distances. You did your first marathon in two thousand and fifteen. As a chef, do you still eat the gels, those prepackaged terrible things, or have you dabbled a little bit with um you know finding alternatives that are a little bit more whole foody slash natural? better for the digestion no no i'd like to say that i do but no it's, it's all still packets of gels bananas and um and filler items for me well as a chef you've got an advantage with your food prep <laughs> um i've always struggled getting nutrition right before a big run do you have the same problem yeah i think so i mean i've i'm i i try to work it out but i, I think probably you know, bananas are probably my greatest saviour, um, you know, before a run. Um, and the night before, I, I like to think that I'm doing the right thing by carb loading and all that sort of thing. But, you know, it, it, it's it's really hard to tell. You go, you, you know, you go out, you, d you do those things and you don't know if you're really doing the right thing or you're going to feel sluggish or whatever the next day. But, um, you know, I... The thing is with my with me with running as well is that I'm not trying to win anything. I'm just trying to reach the end and hopefully beat the last time that I did. So, um, you know, I'm not like some sort of elite athlete or anything. I'm just I uh, I do it for the for the sheer joy of um, 
of completing it and 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 that satisfaction. One thing you're also involved in is the slow food movement. This is something I'm interested yep. in too. Can you give us a bit of a background about that? Yeah, look, the slow food movement um, started in Italy um, as a, I guess, a rebellion against. The, I think that the, that it started when they um, put a McDonald's at the steps of the Vatican and the, some the Italians suddenly just went, hang on a minute, no, this isn't right. And they started up the slow food movement and it, what it's really big worldwide is um, a way of preserving, I guess it, the simplest way to put it is it's a way of preserving food culture throughout the world, whether that be food cooking techniques, ingredients that are becoming extinct because they're not commercially viable to sell in large supermarkets, um, things like that, you know, food traditions and cultures um, and and the sharing of that information um, amongst people all around the world. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was lucky enough to go to Terra Madre in, um, in Torino in Italy, where is, which is where they have every two years a, a massive meeting of all the convivia from all around the world. Um, and so you've got people from Texas and from Kenya and from, you know, Vietnam and, um, it, it, it's everyone's food culture all come together in one spot and it's a, it's an amazing thing. And it's a, you know, it is, it really is, um, they've done a lot of work for improving the lives of people by helping them establish, you know, good food, um, uh, standards, I suppose. Um, of agriculture and and caring about the land again and and doing things well, doing things fairly. We're all about uh, doing things well and and creating healthier environments um, and people and bodies at Parkrun. So I think it's it's all part of our ethos too. I'm very interested, Matt, that um, as part of that you talk about regional food, and I guess that's also sort of seasonal things. You you know how to forage for food from just the, the local environment that I would just walk past and I'd have no clue that that was actually edible, let alone how to cook it. Is that, that's a, a bit of an awesome skill that I think a lot of our trail runners might like to learn. Where have you acquired that knowledge? I think I've just picked it up over the years. I mean, working with it in kitchens, one of the things that's been really disappointing about the whole bush foods um, in inverted commas, thing that's happened, you know, 20 years ago, probably 25 years ago, I'm getting pretty old now, um, it was a bit of a push on um, using bush foods on menus and it kind of became this craze of everyone using, you know, bunion nuts and different things and then it became almost too much of a craze and then once it was out, it wasn't cool to do it anymore, you were sort of frowned upon. So all those things went by the wayside for, for quite some time. And now recently, probably in the last four or five years, they've come back in, but they've become ingredients that are the mainstream now. They're the, and they're, we don't look at them as bush foods. We look at them as ingredients, first and foremost. So they're not, they're not a novelty. Um, they are a part of um, you know, natural, um, you know, natural stuff that's just growing out there. And I think, you know, I've, I've known about lily pillies and bunion nuts and, and finger limes and lemon myrtle and all those things for a long time, and they, they are all around us. 
Um, and it's good to know have that information, I guess. There's lily collies everywhere at the moment. I just raided a tree the other day and I'm going to make some um, some jam out of them because they're beautiful. They're, they've got a beautiful cinnamon clove sort of flavour. Um, but, yeah, there's there's a lot of things out there like that. that, that um, and I'm no expert at it either. There's guys out there now who've made a, an entire industry around it. They go out and forage each week for, for sea, you know, um, seaweeds and... Uh, different things and, and they package them up and sell them to chefs all over the country. So um, there's a lot of stuff out there. When you say lily pillies, I've got heaps of those in my yard. What is it the berries that you're taking off them or the flowers or yeah, what? Yeah, the pink berries. Um, the, the pink, pink berries. berries there's okay. different types. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's the ones that have got no real seed in them is the ones that you want. Little rye berries, um, okay. they call them. And yeah, yeah, you just need to boil them up. I, I usually... Put, uh, grate some apple um, and put that in a saucepan with the lily pillies and um, and cook them down and the apple sort of breaks down so you get a bit of body to it a bit of thickness and everything and then if you wanted to you can add some something like um, you know a cranberry sauce or something like that just to give it that gel so you end up with kind of a um, you know jelly sort of sauce and it ends up being like a cranberry sauce basically the, the berries break down and but they've got a very unique bush food sort of flavour to them. Yum. Yum indeed. All this sounds very healthy. Yeah. I, don't th- I don't think donuts are natural. They're my weakness. They're my cheat food. Have, <laughs> have you got a cheat food, Matt? Oh, gee, you know, I'm, I'm, I like to think I'm pretty good. Um, I do have a weakness for pizza, for sure, but I... I when I'm at home, I eat quite well. It's when you travel that it's actually really hard to eat properly and, and eat healthily um, because, you know, you try getting something that doesn't contain carbohydrates in an airport and, you, and, you, and you're sort of screwed. So, I, um, you know, when I'm at home, I try to eat healthy and when I'm away, I just do the best I can. But, um, yeah, look, I think probably if I had to say anything was my weakness, it's beer, um, you know, and... and I try my hardest to uh, to be good about that, but I do have my moments. <laughs> well, you need to celebrate. You need to celebrate your successes. <laughs> so I think you can make some exceptions from time to time. Okay, thanks very much. I'm actually I've actually just had a month without any alcohol since the second of January until now. I'm um I'm on an embargo on coffee and alcohol. Did it improve uh, your running? Yes. Yeah, it's made me lose weight, which is what I what I do. I sort of uh, I'll, I'll bulk up a little bit and then I'll drop five kilos as quickly as I can, so I can start running again. Because I'm not a young fella either anymore. So I've got a, you know, got a, if I'm if I'm 85 kilos um, and I drop five to be 80, then I, I certainly feel uh, I'm a lot quicker and I feel it a huge amount on my knees and my ankles and every part of my body actually. So I like running around that 80 kilo mark because I can. I just feel so much lighter. It's like taking off a backpack with five kilos of rocks in it. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast, Matt. You've made both of us pretty hungry, I think. So um, might have to go and get a bit of a snack. No worries, pleasure. I'll um I'll see you down at Kiwana. Nothing makes me happier than when we get a roving report from our roving adventurers. Me too. That's my favourite. Isn't it? I love it. 
I love hearing other voices and other adventures happening around the country. So let's throw to this week's collection of roving reports. Woohoo! Not what I was hoping for. Yeah, maybe they had trouble with the sound quality this week. I don't know. Come on, people. Make us happy. We're miserable most of the time. (laughs) And it just takes a little thing like that to put a smile on our face. What he's trying to say is send us some roving reports. We, We heart them. Launches also make me happy. Do we have any this week? We do. There's one that's going to make a lot of people happy in New South Wales because it's at Mudgee. Not only is the location going to make people happy, but also I believe this is the first event in Australia to be near our brewery. So there could be some interesting experiences after the (laughs) event. Where did you get that fact from? I'm sure there's a few park runs that are close to a brewery. Well, yeah, but a brewery that's open. I don't think the brew, the brew, what do they call it? The brew, the brew course? No, they don't call it the brew course. They call it the brew. Oh, it rhymes with brew, whatever it is in in Torrens. Um, crew? No, it's not the crew. Spew. No. Anyway, Mudgy on Saturday. Good luck, guys. What about cake? Cake, cake and or donuts may or may not be at. A whole bunch of places this weekend. We've got like five anniversaries. If you want to visit WA, you can stop by Bibra Lake and there may be cake at their second anniversary. If you're in the best state of Victoria, you could head down to Churchill for their second. No, for their first. If you're in New South Wales and you are not attending Mudgee's launch, you could pop by to Cook's River Park Run, who are celebrating their second anniversary, or the Terrace in who are celebrating their first. And in Queensland, Tambourine Mountain are celebrating their second. I'm going to break with tradition here, Scotty, and I am actually going to ask you, what are you planning to do this weekend, this coming weekend? Have you got any parkrun plans that differ from the norm? Yes, I have. Well... Do you want to hear about them? Yes. I'm going to Renmark. You've never heard much about Renmark, have you? I think is that in South Australia? It is. Does it is it road trip or flight? Like what's involved in getting to Renmark from where you are? Well, we're going on a bit of a road trip. Awesome. Taking the family on the road. My daughter has said all summer she wants to go on a road trip. <laughs> we think it's an I like excuse. The idea of it. Well, she just I think it's an excuse for her to spend a bunch of time on her K-pad as we call it. But we're all looking forward to it and we're heading to Renmark. So, I'll have a report from Renmark next week. A new event for me. Ah, see, you're, you're starting to I'm catching. get itchy feet and you don't, yeah, you don't want me to get too far ahead. No. You say you're not competitive and then you plan these last minute road trips to South Australia. Yeah. I'm on to you, Tricket. So, you should be. I'm a force. <laughs> What are you doing this weekend, since we've broke with tradition? Ah, this weekend I will be celebrating 
the sunshine and the final week of the beach course at Kiwana for this summer holiday period before we revert back to our normal course. So something different for me. Have you had many groans? Have you had many complaints about sending them onto the beach? See, this is the thing. There were a lot. Oh, there's groans every week because it's hard. But I think the runners are coming around. And now I'm fully anticipating groans when we go back to the normal course because there will be people that certainly miss the sand. And I, I have had a lot of positive feedback um, as the weeks progress from people that are really actually enjoying just that first K, something a bit different, you know, stretching out their legs. And I'm pretty sure the triathlete contingent will all be super grateful that I've given them so much transition practice um, because they, they, they have to train how to run on the sand out of the water when they do their ocean swims and things like that before their tries. And I'm pretty sure I can be held personally responsible for every PB that occurs for the full month of February just because people will be fitter because of the extra resistance training that I've encouraged them to do by changing the course. Yeah, well, you look, you're preaching to the converted here. You know, the beaches park run, your park run the last couple of weeks. I can't think of anything more fun to experience. Maybe not every week. You know, I reckon the, the beaches regulars who do that every week are pretty hardcore. But oh, who knows? You know, it's fun. And we're all about the fun and all about the adventures. Well, you have a great adventure this weekend, Scotty. I look forward to hearing all about it. Me too. We're going to be re recording and reporting on the road next week. So hang on, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> next week's episode might not get out until Saturday, but we'll try my best. But that's next week. Thanks for this week, Mel. Always welcome. Always a pleasure. <laughs>